I'm going to pick up the scripture reading in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7. That's on the second of your two sheets on the seat. So if you want to pick up the second one, and you can read through with me if you have your own Bible. That's great. You can use that, whatever you want. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read together from verse 1. This is God's word. Now, in these days, when the number of disciples were increasing in number, sorry, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenius and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples increased. Uh, sorry, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We've been thinking since the beginning of the year about advancing the gospel. That's the theme that we've been taking for our studies in the Book of Acts, and. Um, Last Sunday, we looked at this particular threat to this community that God, the Holy Spirit, is setting up. The gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission was under threat, and we saw that last week. It was under threat from this character, this husband and wife called Ananias and Sapphira, and they were seeking to subvert the community. They were seeking to, to be hypocrites, to get away with it. Uh, to distract. And what we come to now in this particular text is another threat against the gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. And the idea is that when we come to study passages like this as a church, when we come to see how uh, the original church was under threat, we get to learn lessons ourselves. We get to distinguish and and, and look for signs uh, so that we're not caught uh, off guard that we can see the common ways that the enemy tries to work against the church, and then we can protect ourselves. We can be aware of what happens, but we can protect ourselves against a a similar threat today. We want to nip it in the bud if we see it. We want to prevent it at all costs. We want to be aware. So what is the next threat that we see against the gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission? We're going to look at this under three headings. We're going to first of all examine the problem that the church is facing at that particular time we've just read. Uh, We're going to look at the solution to the problem, and finally we're going to look at the result. Nothing complicated, the problem, the solution, and the result. But when we do this, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, we'll be in a better place to be uh, ready and active against the devices of of our enemy, of the evil one, uh, who just does not want churches to do well, does not want churches to thrive, he certainly doesn't want them to take steps of faith. So what's the problem? What what is the issue at stake here that that leads to this threat? Well, it says in verse 1, Um, there's a problem uh, between two groups, two groups within the church. You've got the Hellenists, it's called, and the Hebrews. And the Hellenists is a a way to describe Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. 
Hellenists. They were culturally Greek. Okay? Chances are they're from other parts of the, the ancient uh, world and they come to live in Jerusalem. So they brought with them their heritage, their understanding, their culture from other parts of the empire and they've come to Jerusalem. As so you have them on one hand, and then on the other hand, you have the Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians, those who were born and brought up in Palestine, in the ancient Near East, just on the Mediterranean there, in what we would now call, uh, I guess, modern-day Israel, around there. So you've got these two groups, these two sort of ethnic or, or, or social cultural groups. And the, uh, and the problem here is that there was a complaint against the Greek-speaking, um, sorry, a complaint by the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, that the Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows were being neglected. In favour for the other. And so this is the issue that's brought onto the, uh, the plate of the apostles. This conflict or tension. One group of widows is being neglected in favour for the other. That's the, that's the, uh, the rumour, that's the, the accusation. And you can see, can't you, that this sets up a problem in the early church because it's not about necessarily the widows getting this amount of food or that amount of food, but it's about what it represents. And this threat to the church could easily divide along ethnic lines. There could be all-out war. If the apostles handle this badly, there could be an all-out race war within the church between these two different ethnic or social groups. But if they handle it well, if they handle this well, then a beautiful unity could be shown. The power of the gospel could be demonstrated. And so the apostles had to be so, so very careful in the way they dealt with this cultural clash, if you like. But we must ask the question in seeking to understand the problem, why did this arise? Why did this happen? Why was this neglect or this perceived neglect of one group of widows over the other? Why did this happen? Well, it says in verse 2, uh, the 12 summoned the full number, sorry, yeah, the 12 apostles, that is, summoned the full number and said, look, it's not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Essentially, what the apostles were saying is, we can't do everything. We, we've started to compromise on our primary calling, which is preaching the word of God. Or in verse 4, it suggests they've become sidetracked. They are unable to devote themselves to the preaching of the word and prayer. The, the apostles effectively have become a bottleneck for the ongoing growth of the church. It seems to be that over the, the months or even years leading up to Acts chapter 6, since the church began, the apostles have reached capacity. They cannot work fast enough. They cannot make enough decisions quick enough. They cannot teach enough. They're spinning multiple plates. And as a result, the weight on these 12 men meant that the community was at risk. And jobs such as caring for the poor, the widows, they're not doing as well as they should have. They're at capacity. And the community was suffering in both ways. They were deprived of the life-giving word and prayer of the apostles, but they were suffering because there was a poor handling of material needs. So we're presented in this scripture with a lose-lose situation. But let's not forget the backdrop as to why this has all come about. Probably wasn't that the apostles were just terrible from the start and they should never have been looking after this side of church ministry. But it says in verse 1, the disciples were increasing in number. 
And it was a done thing. We saw this last week, like Barnabas or Ananias and Sapphira. They, they would have resources or money or whatever, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet for them to distribute it to any uh, as everyone had need. And so that's what was going on. That was part of the ordinary rhythm and routine of the church. And at that stage in the, the church's life, it worked. The apostles could make good decisions and they could make sure everybody was served well and they could deal with that practical matter as well as dealing with the word and prayer. They were doing the apostolic ministry, but they were doing other stuff as well. And at the early stages, that worked all right. But as we've seen and as we are seeing, the church is growing. The apostles are the bottleneck. They've reached capacity. And the community is under threat. Just to be clear before we move on, serving tables, as they say, is good. That is practical care and help for, for, for the poor within the church is good. Serving the word of God is good. And both are needed for the church to be healthy, for the gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission to be healthy. Both are required. But the apostolic calling that was unique to those 12 at that time is the ministry of the word and prayer. That was what they were called to do. That was what they were charged to do by Jesus so it's not that serving and, and helping the widows and helping the poor, it's not that this was beneath the 12 apostles. Looks like they did quite a good job up until now. But the thing at stake here is that the apostles and the apostles only had this focus of serving the word of God and prayer. And you can start to see, see can't you, how they were being distracted by practical needs and matters and, and letting slip their calling to serve with word and prayer. And the church suffers. There's no doubt about that. And so this is really, I think, a very timely text for us, just coming up to our relaunch on the 24th of March. We, we might feel this tension, this distraction, because there are so many things to do, so many practical things to look at, so many phone calls to have, emails to send, communications, so many jobs to do. And these are necessary for us to do, otherwise our transition will be a total train wreck. We need to do all this. It's important. But these practical things can distract us as a church from the ministry of word and prayer, which has to be central. And I find this myself as, I, as, 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 as the pastor. I sort of struggle with this tension. Even in what to call myself. Am I a, am I a church planter or am I a pastor? Or am I both? Or neither? I don't even know what title, so I just end up giving no title at all. A church planter, you see, is someone, just so you know, if you've never heard that term before, a church planter is someone who establishes a new church, who sows the seeds of the gospel, if you like, someone who is almost sort of entrepreneurial, starts something up that was never there before. A church planter's job is time-bound. You know, you plant a church and then the church is planted, and then you're no longer a church planter, unless you go and do it again somewhere else, of course. But it's kind of time-bound. Whereas a pastor is something that I'm always going to be, I hope. Uh, pastor comes from the word, the, the Latin word shepherd. The pastor is a shepherd. He looks after his sheep. He cares for them. He tends them. He leads them to new pastures so they may feed and flourish and grow. I 
And so my primary role as a pastor, as your pastor, in, in, in line with what the apostles are saying here, is ministry of the word and prayer. That's my role. I can do admin, and I've had to do lots of admin. I can do organization, and I've had to do plenty of that as well. And these are important, necessary tasks required for a healthy start as a church, but they are seasonal. And eventually, I'll hand those things off or, or share them. I've started to do that already with, with uh, many of you in here. Otherwise, as a church, if that's not happening and if I'm not doing that more progressively as we move forward, especially as we go to our new premises, then we will end up in the same problem as we face here in Acts chapter 6. Because I and other people or whoever may be spread too thin and end up neglecting my primary calling, which is ministry of the word and prayer. I can't get away from, and I shouldn't get away from those two things. That is the job description of every single pastor, no matter what they think or do. That's what we should be doing. And you may not come to me or that we may not have an issue where the Greek-speaking widows among us and the Hebrew-speaking widows among us are not getting served well, but there could be other issues that come up. You may come up and say, well, you know, what are you doing about the children? Or what are you doing about singles? Or what are you doing about the youth? Or, or, or insert, you know, whatever issue it happens to be. But this text I've found uh, really corrective, really challenging for me because I must be devoted as your pastor as, uh, um, of, of this church to ministry of the word and prayer. There's loads of other things I could be doing, but this is the thing that I cannot depart from because otherwise our community will be threatened. It will not go well for us if I start fiddling around with other things. Yes, there's a season for work and admin. Yes, we must be thoughtful, we must be ready, we must anticipate the need and respond in faith in order to preserve the unity and vitality of our church. So you can see the problem, can't you? And, and in, in understanding this problem, we hope to try and prevent that ourselves as a church moving forward. So let's think now about the solution. Hopefully uh, things will start to click into place a little more. Solution. They've identified the core issue uh, as a church. Uh, the apostles have. And so they ask for help. So what do they do? What's the solution? Well, they mobilize other leaders to come and join the mission. Look down at verse 3. Therefore, brothers and sisters, referring to the entire congregation, uh, the apostles say to them, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and wisdom, whom we will appoint for this duty. In other words, choose men of recognized character and leadership abilities, individuals with an excellent reputation among you. Those who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, bring them to us and they can look after the practical matters in the church. That's the solution. By the way, let me just take a few moments here, a bit of a sidebar, if anything. But it says, find these individuals who are full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Is not every believer full of the Holy Spirit. What makes these individuals different? Well, being full of the Holy Spirit suggests, as we read into the New Testament, someone who is especially full of the Spirit 
and we know that because they clearly bear the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives in an extraordinary way. All believers possess the Holy Spirit by definition. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. But Scripture teaches us that we can receive as believers fresh and subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit as we go on in our Christian walk. And some people, under the grace and sovereignty of God, are filled in this extraordinary way, full of the Holy Spirit. For example, uh, we saw in chapter 4 a few uh, sermons ago when Peter stood up to address the Jerusalem council. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost, but he was filled again for that particular time and that particular need to address the Jewish council. Then again, after uh, he was said and done, and and, and Noah preached on this a few weeks ago, uh, when they had prayed, remember they got together, they prayed, the whole church, and the place was shaken, and it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who has this remarkable presence of the Spirit upon them, powerful ministry, fruitful in gospel work, maybe even able to do miracles and so forth. And so these seven individuals who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom were selected by the church. Wisdom is important because you can understand, can't you, the sensitivities at play here. You can't just go in like a bull in a china shop because you'll make it ten times worse. These men had to be full of wisdom. They had to know how to handle, how to deal, how to listen, and how to work forward, having listened uh, to complaints, etc. Don't forget, at the start, I said this could go either way because the tensions were so high. It could blow up monumentally or it could come out and unite the church and glorify Christ. And so we need people who are full of wisdom. And so the seven uh, men, in this case, were identified by the church as a whole, they already saw what was in the lives of these individuals and so they identified them and brought them before the apostles for them to lay their hands on them. So what was the solution to the problem? Specialization. In other words, division of labor. The apostles were freed up to obey their calling in ministry of the word and prayer these new leaders were freed up to obey their calling in ministry of tables, serving practically. Paul, later on, the Apostle Paul calls these individuals deacons. That's where we get our word from, deacons. It means servant. That's what they are. And again, let's just think about us and, and wonder, as a church, contemporarily, how we respond to this. Because as we grow, as we grow as a church, we will have increased needs, Increased challenges and therefore the need for specialization in ministry will happen. And, and that's one of the reasons why as a church we have that hardwired into our constitution, our, our gu- guiding and governing document. The role of a deacon and the role of an elder so that we can be ready to serve, ready to specialize. Deacons are those ministers who look after practical needs. Elders and pastors are those who are freed up from ministry of the word and prayer, similar to how we see in this text. And just so you know, currently at Foundation Church Belfast, we have one elder, which is me, uh, which is an anomalous situation. And I say anomalous because we don't want it to just be one guy. We want a a team or a plurality of elders. 
a community of elders, leading, serving the church. But at the moment, one is better than nothing, I guess. But the best way for me and other fellow elders as they come along to serve you is through ministry of the word and prayer, much like the apostles are saying here in this text. Just so you know as well, by the way, a ministry of the word isn't just what I do uh, when I'm preparing the sermons, sitting in my office. I don't have an office, sitting in our living room, uh, preparing sermons and then coming to church on a Sunday and preaching the sermon and then going back the following week and repeating the process. That is ministry of the word, don't get me wrong. That is a key part of ministry of the word. But it's not all of it. Because when we see the apostles and we look at their activities in the book of Acts and in the letters that they write in the rest of the New Testament, we see the apostles teaching, we see them encouraging and exhorting individuals, uh, we see them counselling, one-to-one, discipling groups. And so that's what we do here. Part of ministry of the word includes all of these things. At Foundation Communities, for example, ministry of the word, in writing, in lecturing, in blogging, formal and informal, big meetings, one-to-ones and in your homes. That is where word ministry happens. But it's not just ministry of the word, it's ministry of the word and prayer. I love this quote from John Stott, who is a, um, an Anglican minister, a famous uh, leader of the church in the 20th century, and he said this, Ministry of the word without prayer that the spirit will water the seed is unlikely to bear fruit. So what he's saying is I can spend all my time reading the Bible and reading theology and preparing sermons, but if I'm not spending significant proportions of my time praying for you and for the the word on Sundays, then it's unlikely to bear fruit. I can be as clever as you like. I can write as many blog posts and do as many videos online, get as many likes on Instagram, but unless I'm praying, that stuff can just go to the wind. Ministry of the word and prayer is my central calling, according to scripture. Let's just say this. The more ministry of the word and prayer that we have in this church the more we shall grow by God's grace. More ministry of the word and prayer that we have in this church, the more we will grow by God's grace in general. And so, just so you know, I'm itching to provide you with more than one sermon per week on a Sunday because I realise that ministry of the word is broader than this. There's so much more I'd like to do, but... That's maybe for another day. Conversely, by the way, just so you know, the more you press in, the more you attend church, the more you commit yourself to listening to God's word week by week, day by day, the more you shall receive from him. It's a, it's a you know, uh, can't remember the word. Anyway, the more you press in, the more you shall receive and the more you will grow. And so as a church, as we progress, Lord willing, we'll have additional elders to to minister alongside me. Um, We'll have additional ministers and deacons, directors, leaders who are chosen by you to share the load in order so that we faithfully serve the word of God in the spirit of God to the glory of God because we are a community on mission. That's where we're heading. Thirdly and finally then, let's look at the result. We've thought of the problem. We've thought of the solution, specialisation, 
Let's look at the results. What happens when they do this? Does it work? We'll look down in verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's important that word continued. The word of God continued to grow. It never stopped growing through this challenging time because God's word does that. But they averted the crisis by using wisdom, by selecting these seven individuals to help and serve. But the upshot was that the word of God, after all is said and done, continued to increase. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. So it wasn't just like they saw marginal increases. When the apostles were serving out of their sweet spot, when the deacons were serving out of their sweet spot, the church grew greatly. And even priests became obedient to the faith. That is awesome. And so you can see that the problem or the threat to the community was recognised, it was anticipated, and it was addressed. There were no race rows within the church. There were no church splits. There was no divisions. There were no walkouts. The power of the gospel in this situation was beautifully displayed. Widows were served. The apostles were free to be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. Deacons were elected and empowered to serve. The people followed gladly, and the upshot was the word increased. The word increased. More and more people outside the church, that is, heard the message and believed in Jesus as a result of this. We are, folks, anticipating growth. We are anticipating a a fresh release, a new release of the power of the gospel in our new season. We are excited and expectant that more people will hear and believe and be transformed by Jesus Christ. And so we do this prayerfully, we do this faithfully, we transition boldly, we are expectant as we step ahead, and yet we must be ready by texts like this. We must be prepared by texts like this so that we don't repeat the same errors that we see or threats or potential threats in the early church. If we learn this lesson from God's word and others like it, we may expect to continue to increase in number, just as we see here in the book of Acts. Don't let the the term deacon and elders and all that constitutions just bore you to tears. Because this stuff is crucial for mission, for faithfulness, for the growth of the kingdom. So put out of your mind the stuff that you've maybe heard or collected in your past about these terms because this is fresh, this is of the spirit. We are leaving today the Chinese Welfare Association after two years of meeting in this building. Two years of worshipping here. Two years of, of serving here. We leave larger than when we first started. Don't forget that. We leave deeper than when we first arrived in 2017. We have constituted, covenanted together. We have added new members. We have baptised. We have seen new visitors join us. We have solidified friendships. We have grown deeper in love and desire and passion for Jesus in the last two years. I know I have. In short, God has planted a church here called Foundation Church Belfast. 
But as we look to our transition to a new building, a new service time, a new location, we see new opportunities to serve the Word of God. We see opportunities for more growth, more gospel influence, more of God's kingdom coming in this season. And with this, there will be new needs in terms of service in our church. We will have needs in the areas of children's ministry. We will have needs in the areas of administration. We will have needs and opportunities in the areas of evangelism. We will have needs and opportunities in the areas of events to coordinate, processes to implement, equipment to purchase and maintain. All of these are fresh challenges and fresh needs. And the point that I hope you're starting to see is that this is bigger than any one person or any group of people. Two or three people or whatever it is can't do it all. This requires folks a whole team approach. And you do this already, and I love that we do this already as a church. But my encouragement to you this evening is that we need to do it and do it more as we transition into our new premises. Everyone together, all in, together on mission, because we keep saying it. We're a community on mission. It's not one guy on mission, the rest of you. We're on mission together. We bear this together. So my question to you this evening is this. What is in your hand? What has God given you? What gift has he given you? What resource has he given you? How can you serve the local church and through that serve the almighty God? I'm not necessarily saying that it should be a free-for-all and we just go off and start doing whatever we want. We must, as a church, wisely release and equip you to serve Jesus through this local church in your area of strength. But what is in your hand? What can you do? What can you give? Everybody. Is this a challenge to step up and get involved? Yes, it is. We can all grow in this area, me included. Is this uncomfortable for everyone right now? Thinking of a new role, a new level of commitment, working with new people? Yes, of course. Will it require sacrifice on your part? Will it cost you your time? Will it cost you your money? Will it cost you the use of your energies and your talents? Yes, of course. Will it stimulate growth in you and growth in the church and fame and renown of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, it will. My point, folks, with all this is that we hope and pray and believe for what we see in the early church in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the religious priests you know, came to obedience in the faith. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're transitioning. 
and in our relaunch or transition or whatever you want to call it, we pray and hope and believe and expect that the word of God will increase. The disciples will be multiplied in this city. And I, for one, with all my heart, I want to devote myself to the ministry of the word and prayer to ensure that that happens. And so my question to you is, will you join me? Will you say this evening, yes, I'm in. I'm on board. I'm ready. I'm not saying we don't have doubts. I'm not saying we don't have fears. But will you see what God is doing and say, yes, sign me up. What have I got to lose? So how can you respond? Let me give you three steps as we, we draw to a close. Three steps for, for, for you and for me to respond. <clears throat> Number one, first thing you should do, if you want to say yes to that, if you want to say yes to that challenge, I'm in, I'm on board, I'm ready. Number one, become a member here at Foundation Church Belfast. Become a member. What does it mean to be a member here? It means that you visibly and publicly associate yourself with these people in here. It means that you say, this is my family. These are my people. And they say of you, this is my brother or sister. We're going to go on mission for Jesus together. That's what membership is all about. Practically, it looks like this. An interview or a conversation with me and another member. Do you understand the gospel of Jesus? Do you show evidence that you get the gospel in the way your life is working out? And have you been baptized in obedience to Jesus' command? Then membership is open to you. So number one, if you want to respond and say, yes, I'm in, I'm on board, I'm ready, I want to serve, become a member of Foundation Church. Number two then, once you've done that, and if you're already a member, then start number two. Number two, <clears throat> discern your gifts in community. Discern your gifts in, in, your, in your family, in the community of the local church. You might know or think you know what your gifts are. Praise God if you do. But we have each other. Someone might recognise a gift or an ability in you that you don't even see in yourself. Someone might not recognise the gift or ability in you that you think you've got. We do, we do this, we discern this in community. And the community will affirm your gift. This is all part of the membership process, by the way. I'll ask you for your understanding of the gospel. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out whether you've got evidence of, of that making a difference in your life. And I'll ask you, how has God gifted you to serve the local church? He's gifted me to do administration. He's gifted me to work with kids. He's gifted me to make a lot of money in my job. And I want to give that and I want to release that. Who knows what your gift is? But that's one of the questions. So number one, become a member. Number two, discern your gifts in community. Find the best fit for yourself. Number three, thirdly and finally, get deployed in mission to serve Jesus. Once you've done those two things, start serving Jesus. We want to set you down and set you free to go and pursue him in community, serving the church, serving one another. You will start smallish, you will grow, you'll get coaching, you'll get oversight. 
Any serving opportunity within the church is not necessarily a job for life. Don't fear that if you sign up for something, that's you for the next 15 years unless you die. Some churches operate like that. We will not. But get deployed in service to Jesus. Whether this is a natural ability that you have and everyone's always said you're good at this or good at that, or maybe it's something, a new skill that you have learned, you've come to do or be able to do. Every member serving on a team, in community, part of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. That is what we're heading for. That's what we want. So that, in closing, the word may increase and the disciples of Jesus may multiply greatly in this city. So as we close, are you in? Are you on board? Are you ready? Let's pray. We're going to stand together and pray. So why don't you stand up just now? Uh, the music guys are going to come up. I want to take this opportunity. Um, so we've done this once before. I just want to do it again tonight. Um, I just think because it is our last time here, our last Sunday in, in Chinese welfare, uh, we have an opportunity to, to thank God, to pray out. So uh, in response to the message, or maybe just uh, in response to our last two years worshipping here together, if you want to pray out to encourage each other, thank God, commit yourself to God, encourage one another, <clears throat> then now's the time to do that. So I'll open in prayer, and if you feel so led uh, to pray and encourage each other, then jump, jump right in. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for all that you have done among us in this place. We thank you that Jesus has been proclaimed. We thank you that people have heard the gospel Father, we thank you that people have been baptised, added to membership. You have grown us. You have been so good to us, Lord. Father God, we thank you for preserving us until this moment. We have had some crazy times, some, some interesting experiences, and yet you have been with us through everything. And Father God, we look to you now for this next season. We look to you in faith, O oh Lord. We look to you to provide. You have led us to make this change. Lord, supply the blessing that we believe you've intended. So Father, work among us. Build up our faith. Build up our confidence. May we lean into you. May we see your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.